0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello. Welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, it is my blessing to be in dialogue with Pothiti Hansarula. She is the author of Child Survivors of the Holocaust in Greece, published in London by Routledge, 2020. She is associate professor in the Department of Social Anthropology and History at the University of the Aegean in Lesbos, Greece. Othiti, it is an honor to be in dialogue with you today.
1: I'm very happy uh, to discuss about my book uh, with you, and I'm uh, really honored to...
0: To begin, can you kindly tell us about yourself? Where did you grow up? What formative events in your life inspired the scholar you would become as an adult?
1: I grew up in Athens. My first degree was in classics, and uh, as soon as I graduated from the University of Athens, I realized that uh, classics, especially the way it was taught at the university, could not uh, respond to my intellectual and political anxieties. I was working uh, as an editor and proofreader for publishing houses, and uh, I decided to follow uh, seminars as an attendee at the postgraduate program in in modern history that was established uh, at the University uh, of Athens. And uh, the seminars was on nationalism and uh, modern nation building, taught by. taught by uh, a professor who had just came from the States, Joros Leondaritis, and uh, it was the time that uh, the Macedonian uh, question erupted uh, in Greece about uh, the name uh, of uh, North Macedonia now. and. Uh, Uh, I became acquainted with uh, the work of Benedict Anderson and uh, I translated uh, his book, Imagined Communities in Greece. At the same time, I was uh, very attracted by the work of uh, Edward Thompson, E.P. Thompson, and the making of the English working class. And uh, I understood that I was attracted uh, to the lives of everyday people. Uh, whose past uh, were relegated, as uh, Grail Marcus says, to the dustbin of history. So I decided to do my MA in British Labour History uh, at the University of Warwick in Britain and uh, at the Centre for the Study of uh, Social History, which which had been established by E.P. Thompson. And I, I did uh, my dissertation with uh, uh, Professor Carolyn Stidman, whom I consider my mentor, and I read uh, every book of hers. And then I continued with uh, uh, doing my PhD in Florence uh, with Luisa Passerini, a well-known oral historian at uh, I studied, uh, I did an oral history of domestic service in Greece in the first half of the 20th century. In my PhD dissertation, uh, emotions and especially shame emerged as a central axis for the shaping of identity. This interest in emotions led me to one of the most important writers of the 20th century in my opinion but not only of course mine, uh, Primo Levi and uh, his chapter on shame and guilt in his book The Drowned and the Saved was critical in my formation as a scholar. Uh, I decided to teach a seminar uh, on the genocide of the Jews of Europe and uh, I have to say that the Holocaust uh, was hardly taught uh, at the Greek university at the time, and uh, the students were not acquainted with learning about the Holocaust, especially through the victims' testimonies. Teaching about the Holocaust was an emergency because the neo Nazi party, Golden Dawn, was on the rise, and members uh, of the government, uh, con- the Conservative Party discussed with the neo Nazi party uh, for collaboration and uh, in government and uh, future collaboration. And a journalist who became an EU uh, parliament member uh, contemplated collaboration with, as he said, uh, a serious Golden Dawn. Uh, so uh, through my reading of holocaust testimonies and teaching uh, i moved to do research on the holocaust
0: what aspects of your writing process were most challenging for you how did you handle these adversities what aspects of your writing process were most therapeutic for you how did you grow
1: dealing with oral history i found these questions especially uh, the way uh, that are combined the different or opposite let's say aspects of it very important for me as a historian and oral historian dealing with oral history and life stories of people who did not have a voice in historical narrative was a painful experience child survivors of the holocaust had undergone tremendous traumatic experiences under the German occupation in Greece between 1941 and 1944. Conducting oral history interviews with victims of trauma is overwhelming. Firstly, because during the interview process, there is the fear that one will intrude into the personal sphere of the traumatized person. How far can one go with the difficult questions? Furthermore, there is a difference in ethnic religions, class identities that interfere in the interview and can create tensions between the interviewer and the interviewee. The second difficulty arises from the question of how to analyze the testimonies. When I listen to the interviews, I left the house because I couldn't handle them. I couldn't, I didn't know how uh, to uh, analyze them and to approach them and I was in despair. Uh, And this lasted for months. What preoccupied me was to find the appropriate analytical tools to make justice to their experience. What if I betrayed their trust? Did I upset them? Have I stolen their story and disappeared so their, life, their lives served my thesis or the writing of the book that had my name on the title? So there was a concern that their name was once again erased from history. Besides, I was concerned that with the problem of preserving the individuality of the person who entrusted me with his, her story, and at the same time trying to find a balance between the individual and the collective, because the story of the individual has to be connected with other stories in order to be able to formulate a historical argument about past subjectivities. Now, the very interesting question of the therapeutic dimension of research and especially oral history research is that the historian always tells her own history, even if she's not aware of that. Starting from the choice of the object of research through the formulation of the research question to the production, till the production of historical narrative, the historian is inside the story he or she tells. In the past, and maybe still today, the historical profession has defined objectivity by measuring the distance the historian had from the object of his research. That is, the greater the distance the historian had from the object of his research, the more objective the history he wrote was considered. So we need to take notice of the transformation of history writing to a male dominated profession in the 19th century. Since the 1970s, the, the late 1970s and early 1990s, oral history changed this perspective. And as Luisa Passerini pointed out, objectivity is replaced, and it was her suggestion by the concept of intersubjectivity, meaning that that historiography is shaped by the relationship between the historian's subjectivity and the subjectivity of the subjects of historical inquiry. So testimonies are not considered as the raw material on which the historian's methodology is applied testimonies guided me to unveil children's experience during the Holocaust and their impact on identity. Through the survivors' me- memories, I understood my own self. And I want to tell more. These were personal, of course, uh, things that uh, preoccupied me as a historian. But there was also uh, one more uh, I think one more motivation for this uh, uh, research and book. My grandfather, from the side of my mother, was a missing person, as was the whole crew of the ship that transferred wine from the port of Piraeus to Parus during the the Second World War uh, in 1943. Uh, The ship must have... uh, 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 exploded by a mine uh, and uh, there was uh, no trace of any member of the crew. My mother was two years old when this happened and there was no talk in the family about this tragedy. After I finished the book, I realized the deepest reason that motivated me to write on children's memory of the Holocaust and the transmission of trauma.
0: What inspired you to prepare this book? What message do you hope to convey to readers?
1: The history of the Holocaust had uh, identified with the victims of concentration camps and had been dominated by the experience of concentration camps. The Yad Vashem Museum's motto, Every Holocaust Victim Has a Name, expresses the will to restore the human qualities to the victims who were dehumanized by the genocide. The images of the mass of corpses in the documentaries reproduce in a way the dehumanization of the victims. In addition, the first testimonies and projects aimed at informing the world about the Holocaust and the Jewish identity of the victims, which were completely obscured. More recently, scholarship tried to bestow an identity to each victim and show the plurality of experiences, subjects, and communities to recognize that each person had a life story before and after the holocaust the visual history archive of university of southern california SOA foundation the spielberg archive in other words collected 52,000 life stories in life story interviews and this is a great contribution to research my motivation is connected to the to the to these processes and I participated in a project headed uh, by a well-known Greek historian, Erica Berdnyisten, and the program aim was to facilitate researchers. Uh, to, uh, to, so, and we built uh, a database uh, with um, of Greek survivors of interviews, interview metadata. Uh, Of uh, Greek survivors of uh, the Holocaust. And uh, we uh, found 1,000 testimonies from a variety of archives and added information according to the life trajectories. But the most important is that researchers can locate the interviews, which collection, archive, book, in which collection, archive, book can be found. And uh, I le- I listened to many interviews uh, through this uh, uh, in this project and through this process. I realized there was no research done on survivors in Greece using these valuable sources, let alone on children. So in in 2012. I started to interview child survivors in Greece in order to provide a stage for the voices to be heard. Although survivors from concentration camps were not silent about their experiences, there was complete erasure of their stories and voices in the Greek public sphere. The acknowledgement of children's suffering during the Holocaust and the connections between the silence and silencing were connected to the hidden anti-Semitism of Greek society and to the open rise of the neo-Nazi party. The official response to any call by the Jewish authority uh, after the war in in, uh, the 1950s to repair official and unofficial anti-Semitic expression and attack was that the Greeks suffered the same as Jews in Greece. So, uh, they separated Greeks from Jews, although Jews were uh, Greeks too. And uh, so, Greeks suffered the same as Jews in, in, in Greece during the German occupation or that Greeks did the most to protect their Jewish compatriots. Most work tends to focus uh, nowadays on the German apparatus, the military operations, uh, the massive uh, killings of local population and destruction of villages. Fairly recently, Jewish persecution became an object of historical research and these studies, like uh, Maria Kavallan, Nikos Zafleris investigated important issues such as the demographic profile of the Jewish population of Salonika and Volos, the economic destruction of the German administration, and the collaboration with the Greek authorities in the despoliation of Jewish wealth. There was very little work done the perspective of the victims and none on child survivors. Thus, my book sought to fill this gap and investigate the way in which the Holocaust shaped the first post-war generation.
0: Can you summarize your book for us?
1: As uh, I said, the integration of children's narratives to the historical record is the main objective of the book. The writing of History from the child's point of view in the last decade represents a shift in scholarship to treat children as subjects of historical narratives. And this is a recent uh, but burgeoning uh, process uh, in uh, Europe and uh, in, uh, in general. So the the book assesses the legacy of pain and suffering left by the Holocaust to children. It starts with the importance of child survivors' testimonies and argues that making memory the object of our research can illuminate the way in which the self is formed. So it investigates the way in which, in which children come to ter- try to come to terms with both conscious and unconscious fears with the separation from parents persecution hiding deportation and imprisonment imprisonment as well as the haunting ex- uh, effects of the holocaust so i uh, more specifically Uh, I explore children's subjectivity through two axes. One is the age of child survivors and the other is the geographical background. So I distinguish between three age groups and the first group consists of children who were born during the war and there is very little work on that uh, because they are in between the one and a half generation, as it is called, and I'll talk about this in a minute, and um, and the second generation. The second group consists of children who belong to one and a half generation, and this is a term improvised uh, by Susan Rubin Suleiman, and uh, these were under uh, 16th year Years old, 16 years old in 1945. And uh, most uh, studies and survival organizations uh, agree uh, that uh, uh, this, uh, when we talk about ch- children, uh, this is uh, the age uh, that uh, um, we consider uh, as a childhood and um the third uh, age groups so what we mean i uh, have to add this uh, by one and a half generation is that uh these children were uh, not uh, uh had not they were not old enough as uh, Suleiman says to have an adult understanding but have their own experiences of the Holocaust, which is important, as we shall discuss, uh, I think, uh, uh, when we talk about post-memory and transgenerational haunting, because there are uh, forms of memory, types of memory, that are outside of uh, children's uh, experiences or people's experiences but um, concern children. And uh, I also uh, wanted to add a, a third group that were children, uh, young people, I would say, above uh, uh, 16 years old. And I did this in order to have a context and a comparison uh, with uh, uh, Young people, who were the majority, of course, of survivors, who had uh, uh, an experience of uh, uh, Jewish life uh, in uh, in uh, Greek cities and mainly uh, Salonica, and uh, so uh, the exploration uh, of. uh, the age group of uh, survivors who were born during the war uh, revolved around the question uh, of how children were implicated in the aftermath of, of crimes that they had not themselves witnessed. Uh, so uh, as scholars have shown, memory can be transferred to those who were not actually there to live an event and that this memory is distinct from the recall of contemporary witnesses and participants and uh, the you know and I would like also to add uh, the thematics, the themes of uh, the book and uh, so, um, and, um, so uh, I wanted to show the multiplicity of the experiences. Of uh, children, and uh, that's why I also I uh, did this uh, uh, distinction between the age groups, and also the ge- the geographical. The, uh, I looked at different uh, geographical backgrounds so to compare, uh, Salonican, Athenian, and uh, Volos. Uh, uh, population, Jewish population, uh, because there were there were uh, differences uh, in uh, uh, the, as it is shown by uh, the percentages, the difference in the percentages of uh, survivors.
0: <clears throat> How were parent-child relations impacted by the Holocaust? How did parents rear their children in concentration camps? How did or could a parent discipline a child in a concentration camp? How did the experience of living in a concentration camp impact how parents behave towards their kids?
1: The impact of uh, the Holocaust and uh, and the different uh, aspects of, of it uh, really uh, disintegrated the families and uh, for the children uh, who were hidden uh, by their parents uh, very few of course uh, from uh, uh, Salonica. only those uh, who escaped because 96 percent of the population of the jewish population of Salonika Paris, in concentration, camp, concentration camps. So the biggest community of Greece, with uh, 46,000 uh, people, uh, was completely uh, annihilated, almost completely annihilated. Only 2,000 uh, people returned from concentration camps. And uh, so it was extremely difficult uh, uh, with the rush that uh, the persecution uh, happened, and above all, uh, with uh, uh, the tactic uh, of uh, uh, ambush and of the uh, lies and the completely anti-logic, anti-logic of uh, uh, the German authorities. Uh, it was extreme. It was only a matter of luck if a uh, few people could um, escape uh, from uh, deportation, and so uh, there were problems in Salonica. Uh, with I mean, uh, because uh, not the children, but. Uh, the older generation, especially the grandparents, parents, talked Judas Jewish parties, so it was very easy uh, uh, when there was a check uh, by the uh, uh, office, SS uh, uh, officers uh, to uh, reveal that uh, they were uh, <coughs> uh, Jewish, and um, also it was very difficult for children to realize and understand uh, that they had to hide uh, their identity and it w- it is amazing uh, how um, resilient these uh, children uh, were and how much uh, they could adapt uh, and motivate and um, all their energy uh, to protect uh, uh, their parents and uh, themselves. Uh, so uh, parents had to uh, realize, in many cases, uh, that uh, the non, the Gentile population, the, the non-Jewish population uh, was uh, talking. They overheard, in many cases, uh, that. Uh, uh, the owners of uh, the house, uh, uh, they found uh, a refuge and rented, uh, were going to betray them. So uh, the, the first um, move, the first step was uh, to give the child uh, uh, to a family, uh, a Christian family, uh, or uh, to... Uh, Catholic monastery uh, because uh, the nuns uh, were eager uh, to uh, hide the children, Uh, although the Germans uh, knew uh, when uh, they realized uh, that uh, this happened, uh, made uh, uh, searches in uh, in, uh, the monasteries and uh, so um, the other thing is that uh, other parents um, who were hiding in Athens or in villages with uh, uh, the, their kids um, decided uh, to remain all together and um, uh, they left um, if if they could some of them and if I, they had the money uh for uh, um to turkey and then uh, to israel it is uh, very difficult to understand uh how uh, parents uh, i mean uh, the only children who uh, survived uh, i mean on whom uh, the death uh, penalty was not uh, imposed uh, as soon as they arrived in the camp was uh, Bergen-Belsen, and this was for a uh, Spanish uh, citizen, for Greeks with pa- Spanish citizenship, and uh, uh, for uh, the seventy uh, for members of the uh, council and uh, Jewish council uh, the rat and uh, the uh, the employees of the community and the members of uh, committees and the Jewish militia, and so uh, these uh, children uh, left, uh, stayed uh, in Bergen-Belsen uh, with uh, their families, and. Uh, and uh, they were very small uh, children and uh, the, the, their parents had to impose a very strict uh, discipline. And there is uh, one interviewee uh, who was uh, seven years old, Rasel Lola Angel uh, from Salonica uh, with the Spanish citizenship as soon as they arrived Uh, at Bergen-Belsen, her mother uh, told her uh, in uh, French uh, here you will do uh, what I tell you and uh, uh, she remembers uh, this uh, cold uh, frozen feeling uh, in uh, her uh, throat so there is this embodied uh, memory, this embodiment of uh, memory uh, that stays uh, in a way forever uh, in their uh, in children's sights.
0: How does your book advance our understanding of anti-Semitism?
1: Children's testimonies are central uh, for the understanding of the rapture that the Holocaust created in Greek society. And they are important sources because they provide us with a way to understand the questions that preoccupied Jewish people that tried to rebuild communities. So the, during the post Shoah era, how, what preoccupied people uh, the members the, the Jewish community was how could children regain aspects of their lives that were connected to the Jewish identity because to be a Jew meant uh, that immediately uh, that one uh, was dead so children knew that uh, it was understood uh, that's how they understood it that it was a bad thing to be uh, Jewish. And we have um, the testimony of uh, Katie Samuel, uh, who was uh, nine years old. And when uh, she escaped uh, to Athens with her parents from Salonika, uh, she met her uncle before uh, the surrender of uh, the Italian administration. So uh, they weren't uh, hidden uh, yet. Uh, the, she was uh, at the coffee shop with uh, her, uncle, her uncle and uh, she drew the uh, sign of the cross on her dress with a red pen. Uh, in order to show uh, in public that uh, she was Christian. And uh, children started, very young uh, children, started to um, wonder uh, about the meaning uh, of being Jew, uh, Jewish, and uh, were very um upset uh, about uh, uh, this and these uh, uh, images or uh, some phrases uh, that uh, they told uh, remain uh, till uh, today in uh, the memory or in the memory of their uh, family and um, so uh, was it Possible uh, after such knowledge to have a sense of security about being Jewish and regain trust in people. So, was it possible for a positive conceptualization of Jewish identity to uh, exist? Anti-Semitism, because of this uh, rupture, of there was anti-Semitism before uh, the war. There was a Campbell uh, pogrom and uh, uh, the Venice uh, newspapers uh, wrote uh, against uh, uh, anti Semitic uh, articles, etc. And uh, uh, they triggered uh, the uh, pogroms. Um, but uh, it seems uh, that anti Semitism was not. Uh, Um, so uh, fierce uh, as, of course, uh, became uh, during uh, the Holocaust, which meant, of course, to be Jewish, as we said, no no death. But uh, the problem is that anti-Semitism was uh, very prevalent in post-war society, And it was a a combination uh, of uh, um, religious uh, elements uh, and of uh, uh, racism. Uh, And this has been pointed out by scholars in uh, other European countries. The children who had not witnessed the rich and prosperous cultural life Of the period before the war were ambivalent about their Jewishness. And there was a a stigma, um, uh, uh, this identity was stigmatized. So, one of the findings uh, of my uh, book is uh, this. Need uh, to conceal their identity and the shame uh, about being uh, Jewish. This is expressed clearly uh, by uh, child uh, survivors. And um, also uh, at school uh, the anti Semitism was very prevalent both by the class the, their classmates, even uh, in uh, prestigious um, private schools and uh, um, in uh, public schools and there were, uh, the were children were forced to do the sign of the cross and uh, to go to Sunday schools. And uh, in every uh game uh, there were uh, immediately uh, there were uh, anti-semitic and uh, attacks and this uh, um created a uh, deep uh, insecurity and uh, but the uh, important thing is uh, that um Uh, These children, of course, uh, with the help of uh, the community institutions uh, and that promoted uh, sociability among Jewish children, uh, were very decided uh, to become uh, distinguished uh, as pupils. And... um, so not to duplicate uh, the the same, or uh, but uh, to react and um, to gain uh, self esteem and public recognition uh, of their uh, traits, and this returned uh, this recognition as a positive feeling about. Um,
0: the uh, Jewishness. How does your book advance our understanding of life in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp?
1: There is a a variety of sources uh, that document uh, life in the Bergen-Belsen concentration uh, camp. Uh, We have prisoners' uh, memoirs and uh, journals and uh, doctors and journalists account that all document Bergen Belsen as a camp of, of slow uh, death. Uh, there were two transports uh, to Bergen Belsen, uh, one uh, two transports, from, one from Salonica and uh, one uh, from Athens. And uh, the deportees uh, from uh, Salonica, as we already as I already said, they were Greeks with Spanish uh, citizenships and um they were uh, uh, and the the other group were uh, the Greeks uh, that uh, worked uh, uh, among them uh, the rabbi and uh, president of uh, the community um, among uh, uh, the, those deported to uh, uh, Bergen-Belsen and uh, various uh, committees, the members of various committees and uh, employees uh, of the community. Now, in um, uh, the second uh, transport uh, left uh, from Athens, this was in uh, uh, 1944 and in uh, April two. Uh, the first uh, was in uh, in August, and it was uh, the eighteenth uh, transport. Um, the transport before the last one from Salonica, and uh, they uh, when uh, they arrived uh, at Bergen Belsen, the first uh, the Spanish, uh, the Greeks with Spanish citizenship stayed. Uh, at the in Bergen-Belsen for six months and then uh, they went to Spain with the help of uh, the American Joint Distribution Committee and they had to stay. They, they were only allowed to stay uh, for three months in Spain and then uh, they were sent uh, to uh, a camp uh, in uh, Mount uh, Sinai. Uh, This did not happen with the second group uh, that uh, came from Athens and were mostly um, citizens uh, who had uh, escaped from uh, Salonika. I think uh, that, uh, of course, uh, scholarship has dealt uh, with recently is uh, uh, the... Uh, that in collective memory uh, Bergen-Belsen is uh, pictured as a privileged uh, camp. And uh, there is discrimination uh, between uh, uh, the survivors uh, of Bergen-Belsen and uh, the survivors from uh, uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau. Uh, in the sense uh, that not only they had uh, uh, the Greek uh, uh, citizens uh, of the council, uh, who only one had survived, but uh, also the members of the militia, they had uh, they, they went to court uh, of uh, collaborators and also and this. Uh, Was uh, and this started uh, from uh, the Jewish community, uh, but also they went to. uh, They had to. uh, There were there were the honor courts, as they were called, uh, that uh, they had to um, present uh, before uh, the community um, in a kind of. in, in apology, it is very difficult to approach uh, how children felt uh, in uh, and lived in captivity. And uh, so there is a challenge for the historian uh, and there is a, a challenge for me to answer Uh, whether the history of uh, childhood uh, from the point of view of uh, the child is possible, how we can approach uh, the past uh, through the memory uh, of adults, how we approach uh, childhood through the memory of adults. And... uh, there are uh, the uh, the images the there are the emotions and uh, the feelings and uh, uh, the place uh, that uh, help us uh, to approach uh, their life and i think it is uh, possible uh, analyzing uh, the, the children's memory uh, to, uh, understand, uh, many, um, to understand many to understand the past, and um, children uh, had uh, terrible uh, images. Uh, of course, uh, there was hunger. Uh, there, there was, uh, there was the appeal, and um, there was fear and insecurity because their parents worked uh, in the camp and were left alone, and uh, uh, they uh, also uh, saw uh, all these uh, uh, corpses that surrounded uh, the camp. And uh, the, a four-year-old uh, girl uh, saw a German uh, soldier uh, on top uh, of a, a track trying to push with his boots um, the people who were uh, dead in order more uh, people to be uh, able uh, to to fit in this um, uh, track. Uh, fear, uh, anxiety and uh, and uh, anguish were uh, deeply engrafted uh, in their uh, bodies. And uh, they stayed for the rest of their lives, uh, this insecurity, and um, also um, the trust to their parents. The, of course, uh, they trusted their parents, but they, they realized that they did not have control uh, of their uh, of their own lives, and oh. of the, they could not uh, protect it. Uh, protect uh, uh, their children, although uh, they did the most uh, even uh, to keep uh, uh, the uh, the everyday uh, and ordinary so-called uh, life when uh, Lola Angel's mother uh, put this little bow on the window uh, so that every morning she could uh, wear it. So I think we. This is uh, one uh, of the rare instances that uh, we can uh, approach children's uh, how uh, children uh, experienced uh, captivity and. Uh, what were uh, the effects uh, of this experience uh, for uh, their lives in the future and uh, also because uh, there was this they they had to carry this uh, stigma of uh, coming from a privileged uh, camp and uh, this uh, also, was uh, uh, created a deep anxiety in them.
0: On page eight, you write the following: the intersection of biographical time and historical time produces generational time. Thus, generational belonging plays a significant role in creating specific narratives and in enabling commemorative practices inclined towards speaking more towards speaking than silence and forgetting generations of memory turn narratives into a social practice taking as a starting point that political and extraordinary events transformed cultures of memory and generations a number of researchers argue that generational memory can play a significant role in shaping cultural and political identities it also assembles meanings of the past and at the same time projects new meanings onto the future can you elaborate on this observation?
1: Uh, what uh, historians and psychoanalysts call memory work relates to practices, narratives, commemorative events organized by survivors across generational la- lines. The obscurity of child survivors was repaired by former children organized conferences and gatherings in order the history of uh, the Holocaust from their own point of view to be heard. So during the 1990s, former children uh, aspired to be included in the category of survivor, which uh, when there is a self-identification as a survivor, Then we have generational consciousness. And they uh, wanted to legitimize their own experience of the Shoah. The generation of uh, survivors of concentration camps were considered for many decades the carriers of the authentic voice of survivors. When this generation started to perish, more experience came to the fore. The group of children who belong to one and a half generation claimed the right to public acknowledgement of their suffering. Thus, through the inclusion, the inclusion of former children in, in the category of survivors, a network of memories was formed, which can be called generational memory. The connection between memory and generation is important because historical trauma tries witnesses together. There is a transgenerational transmission of traumatic experiences and the book tries to unravel the constructions of memory in relation to both conscious and unconscious.
0: Processes. What does the term entre nosotros mean? Can you explain?
1: Life entre nosotros means between us, living between us, and it refers to an old old saying in Judeo Spanish that meant that sociability in Salonica, but in other towns in Greece too, such as in Volos. It was preferred to be between Jews, Salonica as the Jerusalem of Balkans that had a population of forty-six thousand uh, people, Jews, and before I mean in the nineteenth century it was the most important city uh, in. Uh, Greece, although it was not a part of Greece uh, yet, and uh, its population uh, was the biggest uh, of the three communities, uh, Muslims and Christians, so uh, it was an age-old community with important and long-standing administrative, religious, educational, and cultural institutions. And uh, they took pride of this uh, wealth of this uh, prosperity. Now after the Holocaust, the meaning of entre nosotros changed changed and it became synonymous with a collective life that it was based on mourning most of the time silent. What connected the members of the community? was mostly the shared experience of loss, of the loss of their own people. And the everyday struggle for survival under the extreme deprivations of the post-war era did not provide any safety net to develop a sense of security. Now, for child survivors uh, who, who did not know uh, grandparents, uh, because there was hardly anybody who had not lost his or her entire family, was uh, a big uh, um, void. And for example, Victoria Benzilio, and this discontinuity uh, of the coeval presence of generations. Uh, led to a reinvention of kinship types, ties. So uh, on the grounds of repairing such a discontinuity, Victoria Benuzilio accepted the offer by the community council to direct the old people's house in Salonica, And she considered the generation of survivors who were in the house uh, in the old people's house, a substitute for her lost grandparents. And entre nosotros became a defensive a- attitude to the rising anti Semitism of post war uh, Greece. This was a fusion of traditional religious anti Semitism and racial anti Semitism, which aqu- acquired new roots in the local Christian population. So Entremosotros meant me being above all the emotional space in which the mostly silent grief could scalp new subjectivities. As they say, it was moving to see that you are not alone, that despite all efforts to exterminate us, we survive and that. And from every part of Greece, our brothers sprang. Especially, uh, it was the institutions uh, of com- of uh, the community that created uh, this uh, space uh, where uh, solidarity and uh, a sense of community was built uh, among. Uh, children,
0: what new revelations does your book convey regarding the Holocaust in Salonika?
1: Bea uh, have studied in the nineteen nineties, uh, the with oral uh, interviews uh, the history uh, of Jews and uh, and uh, the memory of the Holocaust, and she found out that uh, the Jews. Uh, did not form a part of the public memory of the city of Salonika. There were no Jewish sites that are part of the urban consciousness uh, of its inhabitants, and there were, there is hardly any mention of the Jews or the fate of the community during uh, the Second World War in Greek guidebooks or school books, as she says and the multicultural past of the city was not uh, acknowledged. Uh, Rena Morfo called the municipal authorities and local population refused to incorporate the Holocaust in the local collective memory as nemocide of the Jewish presence. Now, during the 1990s, uh, when the era of testimony swept Greece and uh, also, and survivors felt safer uh, to tell uh, their story and also felt that they bore a recognized and respected identity as compared to uh, the recent uh, past, Um, there were uh differences started uh, to mark uh, the testimonies so uh the the possi- the eruption uh, of these testimonies can be attributed to the fact that there was a more uh, receptive audience for uh, their experiences but it was mainly the international Boom of testimonies that created the context and environment uh, for Greek Jews to testify and to be heard.
0: What is your book's contribution to memory studies?
1: There are uh, several issues raised by your question and uh, the contribution of memory studies to the field uh, of uh, Holocaust studies. I start by Jan Gross' call to historians that we need to trust memory. And when we listen to events and experiences from witnesses that do not appear in official accounts or contradict re- records in the archives, we have to treat them as true. We have to treat as through the testimonies of witnesses, even contrary to the archival records and uh, to start from there to assess uh, the other types of sources. The comparative research by well-known scholars such as Christopher Browning and Sharon Kankisar Cohen on the memory of survivors in uh, different times show that the core of testimonies remains intact. In my research, I wanted to go a bit further than that and treat memory as a tool to approach the impact of socioeconomic, political and cultural context on the formation of survivors identity. The analysis of memory allowed me to understand the impact of the Holocaust on children's mental lives, but also the shifts in their subjectivity during the lifespan And to understand the landmarks that played a role in the shaping and reshaping of their identity. And this uh, was uh, related also uh, to the context, uh, to the political and economic context. So one can um, uh, do a genealogy of uh, the memory uh, of. uh, Uh, survivors in Greece, uh, and the shifts and the transformation of of memory uh, that is related uh, to uh, the political uh, context. And this uh, is uh, my modest contribution. To memory studies.
0: What did it mean to you to interview living child survivors of the Holocaust in Greece? How did they relate to you?
1: It was uh, a great honor to be trusted uh, by the former uh, children who survived the Holocaust and uh, to uh, allow me to interview them. And the interviewees were very eager to talk, and some interviewees had already given uh, the testimony in the Spielberg archive in the late 1990s and there were also testimonies to other archives and exhibitions uh, such as the exhibition Hidden Children in Occupied uh, Greece by the Jewish Museum. Uh, of Greece in 2003-2005 and I benefited greatly from these testimonies as I could delve into the memory of survivors and understand the milestone experience that transformed their perception of the events. On the one hand, those who had given many interviewees had a stronger possession of their story which became more solidified after the years over the years on the other hand those who had not given an interview before were very emotional in the sense that they had not talked to the children and family about their experience or the children were not eager to listen to the stories so a bond was created between us as the witnessing of genocide and the loss of their beloved were a living presence.
0: How did you find your sources? How did you locate the survivors that you examined in this study?
1: The study is based on uh, around 60 interviews, uh, out of which 21 are uh, life stories that were uh, that I conducted with uh, survivors who originated from the cities of Salonika, Athens, and Volos. This body of uh, testimonies uh, comprises interviews with former hidden children and survivors of concentration camps conducted between 2012 and 2017. There were 40 interviews that were drawn from various oral history archives such as the visual history archive at the University of Southern California SOA Foundation, the audiovisual archive of the Laboratory of Social Anthropology uh, at the University of uh, Thessaly, the Memories of the Occupation in Greece project from the Freie Universität Berlin, David Boder's interviews at the online site Voices of the Holocaust conducted in 1946 uh, by uh, Boder um, in DP Camps, uh, displaced person camps. And this was uh, this is a project of Paul Gavin Library, and uh, the interviews are located. at Illinois Institute of uh, Technology and Yad Vashem, the Yad Vashem Testimonies uh, Archive, uh, the archive of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum and the Centropa uh, Interviews Archive. There is also an important body of written testimonies by survivors and increasingly by child survivors that has accumulated during the last three decades, Um, even though testimonies had started to be written uh, before uh, the war. uh, uh, um, The use of uh, uh, testimonies from uh, different archives and also uh, the um, uh, interviews that uh, I did uh, with uh, survivors uh, enabled me uh, to explore uh, several issues. Uh, one of these uh, was whether uh, a canon of testimonies uh, uh, a canon of testimony was created because of these uh, huge archives like the Spielberg Archive or the, uh, the United States Holocaust Museums. And uh, so to have a close uh, look at the focus on uh, uh, the memory and uh, uh, to um, apply a comparative uh, perspective and investigate the transformation of memory uh, of child uh, survivors. And uh, also uh, this uh, investigation. I did also um, archival, I used also archival material um, from the Central Board uh, of uh, Jewish Communities and uh, the archives of uh, the Jewish Community of Salonica and uh, other uh, archives. Uh, so in order to Situate the experience of child survivors in space and uh, time, and um, to point uh, to the distinct trajectories of uh, families uh, that depended on relations with the local population and on the social and cultural life of the Jewish uh, community. And uh, also, the investigation of a genealogy of memory and archives uh, enables uh, to go, allow me to go beyond uh, any an insertion of individual lives to a unified post-colonial cultural uh, memory, and so to have a more um, broad. Um, a range of experiences and um, subjectivities.
0: Okay, what kinds of voluntary initiatives did Greek children benefit from?
1: We talked earlier about life entre nosotros, a form of sociability that is connected to the initiatives of voluntary committees and international institutions that catered for the welfare of children. Let's be more specific about this. From 1945 until June 1949, the Greek government received economic aid from various sources, Great Britain, the United States, United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, that reached one billion dollars and a military aid of uh, half a million dollars Uh, the united nations relief and rehabilitation administration the unra as it was called was the first international organization for the provision of humanitarian aid established by the united nations in november 1943. although it was an international organization it was the United States that contributed the three quarters of, it, of its budget. The American Joint Distribution Committee was the first organization to provide help for Greek Jews and cooperated with UNRA. When in February 1946, the first efforts to organize the Aid to Jews of Salonika started, special assistance for children had not been provisioned. There were at the time 150 children of school age. Between liberation, at the end of 1948, 200 children were born in the community of Salonika. Voluntary committees were established in Greece in order to confront the disastrous effects of the German occupation on the Jewish communities. These committees were staffed by women and men who had either fought in the resistance movement or returned from concentration camps or had remained hidden in various areas of Greece. The Central Board of Jewish Communities in Greece was established in June 1945 in order to to undertake the coordination of activities that aimed at the reconstruction of Jewish communities and the communication with international organizations. One of the most pressing and serious problems that the community of Athens and the joint, that is the American Joint Distribution Committee, had to confront was the state and condition of children's health. Since December 1946, the Medical Center under the direction of Dr. Manoli Sarouk, received and examined children of the community of Athens. There were around 500 Jewish children residing in Athens in 1946. These children had survived Nazi persecution hidden in rural areas or in Athens, but the devastating effects of hiding on their health were lasting. Out of the 260 children examined, 40% were suffering from adenopathy. Children from the provinces suffered too from severe diseases such as anemia, adenopathy, skin infections, and chronic malaria. It was especially these children who benefited from the camp the summer camp as they put on three to four more kilos during the 25 days of their staying. They were distributed clothes, linen and covers while shoes were given to some of them. A committee w- worked hard to implement the project of a children's camp and on the first, fourth night of July, 1946, the summer camp in Coquinaras close to Northern Athens, open to children in this camp, Desi Sousi and Mario Sousis spent one summer that played a determining role in their formation of their identity as Jewish. The name children gave to the camp was the happy hillside with high plains, sycamores. What concerned the people who staffed the committees was not only the well-being of children, but also the activities that would create, again, cultural life. And as they said, if if there is no Jewish cultural life, we cannot say that we constitute a true community. The cultivation of this cultural life can take various forms. Voluntary committees in Salonika were staffed by men and women supervised by the Jewish community of Salonika. We talked before about earlier about Athens and now in Salonika. Uh, there were uh, recreational and educational facilities for children between 6 and 16 years old, as well as protection and relief for infants and children under six years old. The initial activities of these committees were linked to the foundation of the Children's Center and Welfare Center, the nursery school, and the summer camp. These were Anne Molho's initiatives, who was an important figure for the rehabilitation of children, and she was financial administration of the Joint Children's Centre started its activities on uh, November 1946 at the former Karasho Synagogue. And uh, this building had been renovated by the financial aid of the Central British Fund. In August 1947, 64 children, Uh, between 6 and 16 years old, received the Jewish and religion education that is necessary, as they said in uh, the minutes of the Children's Center, uh, necessary to them. And uh, this, this center, the Children's Center, was open all days of the week Uh, for the young children who did not go to school and for the afternoon study of school children. And there was also an educational uh, program that included uh, the teaching of Hebrew, uh, Jewish history and customs, music and art lessons, as well as Greek and French languages. And there were also lectures uh, on Jewish history that were organized. Also, in the summer of 1947, uh, the proposal for a summer camp was implemented. And uh, the first 62 children uh, spent three weeks and a month. uh, uh, They were divided into groups uh, in in a fishing village uh, Outside uh, Salonica. The children were left free to live, as they said, as Jews and talk in Judeo Spanish. Re- also, regular worship in the synagogue was also considered as a means of inspiring Jews to lead a full Jewish life. Parents were constantly urged by school committees to attend with their children the services at the synagogue during the Sabbath and festivals. The fight against anti-Semitism was one of the targets of these initiatives. Voluntary committees aimed at re-establishing a Jewish identity that, that had been destroyed and harmed irrevocably. The regeneration of Jewishness through children was a driving force of welfare policies. From the point of view of children, the creation of institution that catered for them was of paramount importance. The scars of the recent past and their encounter with hate speech and violence, which were pervasive in their everyday lives, could not only be healed, could only be healed by a strengthening of bonds. And if you don't mind, if you agree, I would like to uh, refer to how children perceived uh, and felt and what was the impact of these uh, initiatives and these institutions to them through their voices. Is that all right?
0: By all means. Thank you. Please.
1: Marius and Desi Susik, described the importance of the summer camp in Kokinaras in Athens. Meeting other Jewish children in the summer camp functioned as a reparation to the injured jewish identity. Marius had been asking what it meant to be Jewish when his grandfather was captured by the Germans. All children knew that to be Jewish meant something for which they and their loved ones were chased. Feelings of guilt had been raised surrounding the persecution in a a child's mind. Space was important for expressing their inner reality. The majestic smell of the moist soil and the water that ran under the high sycamores had a symbolic meaning and physical grounding. They had slept in tents that accommodated 20 beds each, while the refectory was in a tent where all children sat together. And uh, they say, singing, laughing, playing, Mario Soussi says, but above all, the fact that we lived united without being afraid, discriminated, and segregated. The best friendships were born there, which lasted for many years and made us meet with our forgotten and persecuted brothers, the Jewish children. The title of Desi Seuss's letter, We Have Been Told Lies, refers to the broken vows taken in the summer camp among the girls and the disappointment and pain caused by her separation from them. She stated that she got such strength in those 21 days she spent with the girls that she grounded a whole life on this experience. We lived a whole life in 21 days, she says. Victoria Benuzilio was saved by a Christian family, Vasiliki and Stavros Ikonomakos, at the age of two and a half, when her parents were taken to Haidari prison and then to Auschwitz. Her father was killed in Auschwitz. Until her mother returned in autumn 1945, she stayed for one and a half years with the Economakos family. Being raised by the Economakos family as a Christian child, she felt protected of anti-Semitism. Every morning, she bade farewell to her father. Virgin Mary be with you. After she stayed with her mother, she remembers making the cross in front of every church. Victoria had faced anti Semitism at school after the war. It was the meeting with Jewish children that had gave her confidence. At the children's center and synagogue, she met children whose friendship changed her approach to Judaism. Her mother took her to every festival the community organized and to the synagogue every Friday. There was a children's center with ladies who most of them had returned from the camps and, tries, and tried to organize Jew, Jewish life in Salonika. In children's center, we celebrated this festival, the Hanukkah, when, when they gave us presence. I started to learn slowly to go to the synagogue every Friday. I went more to find my peers than for the synagogue, but one did not exclude the other. In 1949, Victoria went to the summer camp where she became attached to the rest of the children. The group of Jewish children were bonded, she says. I started to feel more Jewish. I cannot explain it. The stories I listened may have played a role. The stories of Jews had deep roots inside me. I think I knew many things despite my young age and I used to read a lot. I remember my mother lighting a candle every Friday and a candle for the souls who perished. All the experiences rooted in our hearts, like the sycamores, as they said, were simultaneously temporary and paramount companionship playing without the, the usual anti-semitic slurs erupting in games by gentile children at upcoming at games in the most abrupt manner made them feel safe. The reassessment of their Jewishness started substituted feelings of shame for perseverance and eventually pride. Their feeling of belonging gave them strength to resist the anti-Semitic verbal and physical attacks from their classmates and teachers. The study of forms of children's sociability revealed the importance of childhood and youth for the reconstruction of the Jewish life. Children had a central place in post-war welfare state and society and collectivities could bestow rights in the name of these social categories. For children, the activities that were directed to them created an environment where sociability was based on an identity that children could share for the first time after the persecution. Children's sociability was the first step for the formation of, the, of their identity, which would not anymore be answered in fear and stigma, but in a common way of life based on friendship, protection, joy, and love. As Rosie Saltiel, born in Salonica in 1935, said, we became much more Jewish. We preferred to be between us. We felt safe. We loved each other madly and we needed nothing more. And Flora Michael also stated, my Jewish education had its foundations on the children's center. She was also born in Salonica in
0: 1935. What role does Marianne Hirsch's notion of post-memory play in your study?
1: When I did the interviews, I realized that the age group of people who had been born during the war bear a traumatic memory that is not based on their own experiences of the Holocaust, but it's drawn from the previous generation's memories who had experienced it. As scholars and writers have shown, memory can be transferred to those who were not actually there to live an event, and that this memory is distinct from the recall of contemporary witnesses and participants. Many concepts and various formulations have been used to describe these acts of transfer that are characterized by intergenerational transmission of dramatic events. This type of memory is called by Marianne Hirsch post-memory. It specifically describes the relationship that the generation after bears to the personal, collective, and cultural trauma of those who came before. To experiences they remember only by means of the stories, images, and behaviors among which they grew up. But these experiences were transmitted to them so deeply and effectively as to seem to constitute memories in their own right. Another finding related to post-memory was the fact that the, the transgenerational transmission does not necessarily happen between pa- parent and child, but between the child and survivors affiliated with his or her family. I would like to quote, to quote from an interview with Flora Kamhi. Born in Athens, 1943, my father was captured in March 1944, when I was nine months. I didn't know my father, and later, when, when I was three, four years old, and we returned to Salonica, everything I heard had to do with the camps, with experiments on women, with mass murder. My mind couldn't understand why all this happened. What have we done? I used to say that I didn't listen to fairy tales. These were my fairy tales because my mother, with all the pain she suffered, the terrifying, deep pain gathered all the women who returned from the camps. Our house was like a nest. She had four children. We went out to play, but we were poor. We were left with nothing and she gathered them. It was the nest for these women who were so much tormented. I listened to these things. I adored my grandmother who had lost my father, her son. My mother had lost 35 members from her family. Some of them were captured in Athens because there were raids. These were the stories I grew up with. And I can say that from what I know about the embryo today, the relationship between the embryo and the mother, I must have received terror, fear, despair, agony. And all these things were connected later with the narrations of these women and of the people who came back from the camps. This was the quotation. Transgenerational transmission transcends the book because most survivors had lost their entire family and friends during the genocide. Salonika was compared by survivors to a cemetery. The stories the women told were deeply interlaced in children's being. Shame overwhelmed them for the way their own people were murdered. What is also important is that the interviews show the relational character of memory and the interactive process of transmission. Memory has effects on people's lives and saves them. Thus, memory is not only collective, but also connected in the sense that the generation of children creates through memory, collectivities and networks of communication.